1: And away we go, episode 371 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, August 8th, 2022. Hey, the commanders finally have signed a veteran, unrestricted free agent linebacker. All of the people who had been clamoring for the team to bring in a veteran linebacker, well, your wish has been granted. Uh, The Commanders on Sunday afternoon announced the signings of three players and the releases of three players. And among the players signed, linebacker Nathan Gary. Uh, He was taken by the Philadelphia Eagles in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL draft out of Nebraska. Played for the Eagles for four seasons, 2017 through 2020. Has not played in an NFL regular season game since the 2020 season. So there you go, Nathan Gary, uh, reunited with Carson Wentz, right? Uh, The two of them played together on the Eagles, so there is that. Uh, By the way, among the players who the Commanders released on Sunday afternoon was their behemoth quarterback, Cole Kelly. Uh, We've talked about him a little bit. Undrafted rookie out of Southeastern Louisiana University. The Commanders listed him as being 6'7". 250. 6'7", 250 at the quarterback position. I thought that we would see a decent amount of Cole Kelly in the second halves of these 2022 Commanders preseason games, but perhaps not Uh, now that he's no longer on the team. I guess he could be brought back, but for now, he's off the team. Well, you are on the team that is the Al Galdi podcast. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the podcast. If you were among those Commanders fans yearning and pining uh, for a linebacker addition, well, uh, perhaps Nathan Gary (laughs) does something for you. If not, well, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Uh, I was not among those people yearning and pining for a linebacker addition for our team, so I'm fine either way. But is the aforementioned Carson Wentz fine? That is the question coming out of the weekend. Uh, We, on Saturday night, had a commander's training camp practice at FedEx Field. Saturday night football at FedEx Field, free and open to the public. Uh, The event actually came off well, so nice job, commanders. But a major topic coming out of this open practice was the performance of Carson Wentz. Now, as I will explain, the idea that he was like horrendous, is being overblown. The idea that he has been horrendous during commander's training camp is being overblown. But Carson Wentz on Saturday night was mixed. And Carson Wentz so far in commander's training camp has been mixed. Uh, He has been inaccurate at times. He also has been good at times. So what are we to make of this? How much does All of this matter? Should we be concerned given the history of inaccuracy for Carson Wentz, or does everyone just need to calm down? Okay, does everyone just need to put on their big boy pants and calm down and not get hysterical over every little thing? Well, Ron Rivera, Carson Wentz, and Terry McLaurin on Saturday night all spoke at length about Carson and how things are going. And next segment, I'll go in depth on what went down on Saturday night. I'll give you some fact-based truth about Carson, and I'll take you through every significant thing that Ron, Carson, and Terry had to say about what's going on here. Uh, Also on the show, cover your ears, hide the women and children. I will talk Nationals. Uh, They, over the last three days, Friday through Sunday, got brutalized at the Philadelphia Phillies in what ended up being a four-game sweep. The Nats lost the final three games of the series by a combined score of 31-8. Yes, 31-8. As Steve Spurrier said in December 2003 in his final press conference as Redskins head coach.
2: Not very good.
1: No. Not very good. Uh, The Nats are not very good. The Nats starting pitching at the Phillies was not very good. The Nats starting pitching at the Phillies was a special kind of bad. This really was one of the worst series I have ever seen a team have in terms of starting pitching. Uh, Patrick Corbin on Saturday night allowed six runs and recorded a mere two outs, and he did that for a second time in three starts. And now, finally, the Nats seem open to demoting Corbin to the bullpen. There is a lot to sort through with the Nats. Sort through it all, I shall, with you later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, they, over the weekend, won two or three games over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yard. Some good pitching for the O's, uh, more good hitting from Adley Rutschman. And now comes a big three-game series for the O's against the American League Wild Card leading Toronto Blue Jays. At Oriole Park at Camden Yards Monday night through Wednesday night. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at yahoo.com Email from Yano on a perhaps forgotten tight end for the Commanders. Writes, Yano, why is Samus Reyes so far down on the depth chart at tight end? Whenever you talk about the position, you mention Logan, John Bates, and the twenty twenty two draft pick. Will SR uh, get on the field. Uh, Good question, Yeno. Well, I do think that the commanders like SR. Uh, I do think that the commanders like Samus Reyes. Uh, The team thought enough of Samus to have him on the 53-man roster last season, but I don't know how you can look at the team at tight end and have Samus Reyes any higher than uh, TE4. Uh, Logan Thomas, when healthy, is the TE1. Uh, John Bates and Cole Turner are the second and third tight ends in some order. So that leaves Samus Reyes. uh, That leaves the Slayin' Chilean, as my friend Burgundy blog has christened Samus uh, as the fourth tight end. Samus is a work in progress, given that, remember, it was only a few years ago, May 2020, uh, that he decided to try what he had been told to try for a while, football. I mean, the guy still is really new to the sport of football. Uh, Another thing with Samus is that he has been banged up quite a bit. Uh, He has had a hard time avoiding injury. Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning, revealed that Samus was dealing with a hamstring ailment. Uh, The commanders at tight end have had quite a few ailments. You have Logan Thomas coming off his torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. Uh, John Bates has been out with a calf issue, and Cole Turner and Samus Reyes have been dealing with hamstring issues. Uh, Email from Eric E. on an unfortunate recent trend, writes Eric, wanted to say, God bless you for surviving nine days alone with your young kids. I think you deserve a roster bonus for that one. Uh, I heard you mention on your show the other day that we're losing quite a few sports icons recently. I agree with that, especially with the recent passing of Bill Russell. But guess what other group is also suffering and reeling from tragic losses? Famous mob movie icons. Ray Liotta slash Henry Hill, Goodfellas. Paul Sorvino slash Paul Cicero, Goodfellas. James Kahn slash Sonny Corleone, The Godfather, Tony Sirico slash Paulie Walnuts Galtieri, The Sopranos. I don't know if I missed anyone, but can you please give an R.I.P. shout out to our dearly deported mafioso movie icons. Thanks, Sal. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, no doubt, man, we recently have had quite the run of death in terms of mob movies television show icons. All four of those characters really are all-time great characters. I can't decide which one out of the four was the best because each was so great. Can I tell you, though, one of my favorite scenes with one of those guys? The scene in Goodfellas in which Paul Sorvino at his house prior to a big meal with a bunch of people— is talking with Ray Liotta about some shady stuff. You know, the thing. No, no, the other thing. You know, that scene. And when they're done talking about the shady stuff, Sorvino turns and says, let's eat. And I've always loved how Sorvino said that. Like, the ultimate Don, you know? When he says that it's time to eat, then it's time to eat. Everyone at the house is talking and commiserating. But when the Don says, let's eat, it's time to eat. (laughs) I don't know why, but always got a kick out of that scene in Goodfellas. That scene and the scene in which Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Ray Liotta, after killing someone, end up eating a late night meal at Joe Pesci's mom's house because she won't let them leave without eating. Just tremendous, classic stuff. What a movie uh, Goodfellas is. Well, those of you who are hardcore fans of The Sopranos, Uh, may remember the skin cancer scare that Tony Soprano had at one point in the show. Uh, That was not real, but unfortunately, the prevalence of skin cancer is real. Skin cancer actually is among the most common of all cancers in the United States, but the good news is that skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yes, free. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And yes, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs skin cancer surgery and for superficial radiation therapy or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Burghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery. Institute of Maryland, 301 396 3401. That's 301 396 3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301 396 3401. You can also visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Berghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. So the review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. So we on Saturday night had a commander's training camp practice at FedEx Field. Yeah, the old girl was opened up on Saturday night, (laughs) FedEx Field. Uh, Second consecutive year that the team has conducted a training camp practice at FedEx Field. It was on Friday night, August 6th, 2021, that we had what was branded as Friday Night Football at FedEx Field. As the then Washington football team on a Friday night held a practice at FedEx Field free and open to the public. It was this past Saturday night, August 6th, 2022. that we had this year's practice event at FedEx Field, free and open to the public. And these practices at FedEx Field, to me, are a good idea. Uh, These practices are fun. These practices are feel-good events. Now, you know, you don't have tens of thousands of people at the practices, but that's okay. Uh, I think that these practices at FedEx Field over the last two training camps have been good in terms of building up some goodwill with fans uh, and getting people excited for the upcoming season. And, you know, the players have done a good job of engaging fans at these practices. Maybe the number one star on the Commanders, edge defender Chase Young, he was signing autographs for fans at FedEx Field on Saturday night long after the practice had ended. That was a really good job by Chase. Uh, Commanders head coach Rod Rivera on Saturday night did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on the atmosphere at FedEx Field on Saturday night.
3: Well, you know, I, I was very pleased. I, I really appreciate the fans coming out today. And, you know, what, what, what looking for is that energy, you know, and, and, and just trying to get our guys to understand that, you know how important it is to have the fans out there and how important it is for our fans to be there and bring that energy. And, and I think the players fed off it. There were some really good things. Um, one, one thing I, I hope everybody appreciated was the aggressive nature in which we played today, the way we, you know, ran the ball, the way we threw the ball downfield, things that we were doing on defense in terms of the different coverages we were using and the pressures we brought. Um, this is going to be a real good tape for us to evaluate. I'm really pleased with, with that. You know, and talking to the coaches as practice was, was going on about the different things that we did. You know, we, we, we had a couple of live periods. Um, we, we, we changed the tempo up so we could, we could get things going. Um, and then we, we kind of eased it back down just to make sure we were working on the details. Um, so we got a lot accomplished and, and very pleased with what we did today.
1: All right. So the commander's practice at FedEx Field on Saturday night overall was well received. The number one topic after the practice by far was quarterback Carson Wentz, uh, specifically his accuracy and how things are coming along between him and receiver Terry McLaurin. Uh, The commanders on Saturday night conducted three post-practice press conferences, those for Rod Rivera, Carson Wentz, and Terry McLaurin. The most popular topic by far was Carson's accuracy and how things are coming along between him and Terry. The truth about Carson Wentz at 2022 Commander's Training Camp so far is this. He has been mixed. He at times has looked pretty good. He at times hasn't looked so good. And his performance in the practice at FedEx Field on Saturday night was like a microcosm of his overall performance at 2022 Commander's Training Camp so far. Carson on Saturday night did throw a good number of passes that sailed over the heads of pass catchers or were too far in front of pass catchers. Uh, Now, not every off-target throw by Carson is necessarily his fault, Uh, But on display from Carson on Saturday night were a good number of off-target passes. However, also on display from Carson on Saturday night were some really impressive throws. Uh, Carson fired a touchdown pass to receiver Curtis Samuel near the right corner of the end zone. Uh, Curtis beat corner Benjamin St. Juice and made the catch before falling out of bounds. Uh, Carson threaded a beautiful pass to receiver Jahan Dotson near the middle of the field as Jahan was in the vicinity of multiple defenders. Uh, Carson, during the final period of the practice, had a touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin on a great back shoulder throw as Terry beat corner Danny Johnson near the right side of the end zone. So this narrative that Carson Wentz on Saturday night was putrid is fake news. Uh, Carson Wentz on Saturday night was mixed, as has been the case throughout commander's training camp so far. So let's get into Carson and his accuracy and where he's at with his pass catchers, especially Terry McLaurin. Take a listen to this exchange during Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Saturday night. You'll hear the question from our friend, Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic, and then you'll hear the answer from Ron.
4: Um, Carson had a couple of good throws in the end zone to, to Curtis and to Terry but the inaccuracy has still been there and it's kind of been there at least from the outside most of these mm-hmm. practices where you kind of what's your sense of his is accuracy uh, at this point I
3: think it's a lot better than you're giving him credit for just because of the way things happen in practice there's a lot of little nuances that we see that we look at that we get to we get to review yeah there's some some inaccuracies but it's 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 nothing that you know, we are overly concerned with. Again, we see we see what's going on. We see how things are developing. We see the timing um, and just the understanding and feel for what's going on with, with our concepts. So as we continue to grow and work on it, you know, we just feel that like we're going to continue to grow and get better as, a, as an offensive unit.
1: Okay, now, on the one hand, you may say, well, that right there was Ron Rivera saying what he has to say. I mean, what's he going to do? Trash Carson Wentz during a post-practice press conference following what was supposed to be this feel good event at FedEx Field. And I get that. But I also don't think that what Ron said right there was wrong. I don't think that we can just assume that every inaccurate practice throw from Carson is a direct result of Carson being a trash quarterback. I mean, some of the inaccurate throws, yes, are on him and are just bad throws, but some of the inaccurate throws may well be on the intended pass catchers. And some of the inaccurate throws may be a result of Carson working on things or trying different things. This isn't unlike a pitcher... During a baseball team spring training, one of the worst things that you can do in baseball is take a pitcher's spring training stats as a true indicator of what he's about to do in the regular season. Pitchers in spring training games are building up arm strength and are working on new pitches and are working on mechanics. The goal for each pitcher in each spring training game isn't necessarily to get as many outs as possible in the pitcher's time in the game, as is the case in a regular season game. And with a quarterback in a new offense, as Carson Wentz is a quarterback in a new offense, who's to say that some of these throws in these practices aren't him testing various aspects of the concepts in the offense of offensive coordinator Scott Turner? Who's to say that some of these throws in the practices aren't Carson experimenting with how to throw, to the different receivers, tight ends, and running backs on the commanders. I mean, we just don't know. Now, let me make this clear. It is true that accuracy has been a problem for Carson Wentz in his NFL career. There's no denying that. There's no getting around that. Uh, Carson Wentz for the 2021 regular season ranked a mere 30th among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in accuracy on non-screen passes. For pro football focus, uh, not good. But what's also true is that Carson Wentz has been a productive quarterback in four of the last five NFL seasons. I have mentioned this before, but I think this is really important. And I feel like I'm the only person who ever points this out. Carson Wentz has finished in the top 12 among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR in four of the last five regular seasons. So it's not like his accuracy has been so bad that it has prevented him from being a productive quarterback. Ron Rivera on Saturday night was asked, big picture, where is he with Carson Wentz now that we are a week and a half into commander's training camp? Here was Ron's answer.
3: I, I see big picture. I see the progression. I mean, you know, again, he's, he's working timing. He's, he's, he's understanding concepts. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a different offense than than what he's played in uh, at his his two different other stops and, um, you know, just getting used to to the different players. This is a different characteristic in terms of the types of wide receivers he's throwing to, um, a little different from the ones he's had in the past. And so this is just developing that rapport that he needs to have.
1: Now, something that's notable with Carson Wentz is that he has never quarterbacked an NFL offense that wasn't masterminded by either Doug Peterson or Frank Reich. Uh, Peterson was Wentz's head coach with the Philadelphia Eagles from 2016 through 2020. Reich, the former Maryland quarterback, uh, was the Eagles offensive coordinator for the 2016 and 2017 seasons and was Carson's head coach with the Indianapolis Colts last season. Doug Peterson and Frank Reich, have uh, been Carson Wentz's NFL binkies. Uh, He no longer has a binky unless Scott Turner becomes a new binky. Uh, This was Ron Rivera on Saturday night on the biggest schematic adjustments for Carson in Scott's offense from Carson's previous NFL offenses.
3: Well, I think one of the big things, more so anything else, is terminology, understanding the terminology, and then understanding how the progressions are set. You know, we may go through a progression a different way for them. Um, you know, he may start his read a little bit differently, and those things are different. Now, then comes the timing and understanding how the combinations are with the different receivers and who those receivers are. You know, when you got when you have Terry, Jahan, and Curtis and Deami out there, I mean, it's 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 a four by one hundred relay team. I mean, those guys can flat out run. Then you put a couple of the bigger guys out there, you, you know you, you put you put Cam out there with them and, and now you got a different set of time, you've got a bigger target as well. You include the tight ends, it's a different group. We haven't we haven't had all our tight ends out there. You know, we're down to four and you know, so there's still a lot of things that still have to work together and still have to be developed together as we continue to go through this.
1: Yeah, you heard Rod Rivera mention the Commander's tight end situation. Uh, among those Commander's players who did not practice on Saturday night due to injury were three tight ends, uh, Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner. Uh, as I noted earlier in the show, Logan Thomas is coming off a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. He is currently on the active physically unable to perform list. Uh, John Bates has been out with a calf issue. Cole Turner is dealing with a hamstring issue. Uh, Carson Wentz on Saturday night did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on whether Scott Turner's offense is more complex than other offenses that Carson has quarterbacked.
5: I wouldn't say more complex. They're all different. They all have their little nuances, and, you know, it might be a very similar play, but how we want to stress the defense or attack the defense, how we want to read a play, you know, there's always different things, and um, quite frankly, that's one of the fun parts of the game for me is just always learning, always trying to learn and, and get better, and just even at little details within a route, within a scheme, knowing where your check down is, all those things um, has been fun to kind of keep pushing the envelope on, on learning and understanding, um, and, and I feel like I like it a lot where we're at right now.
1: All right, this was Carson Wentz on Saturday night on how his 2022 training camp with the Commanders is going compared to his past training camps.
5: Yeah, um they're all different. They're all different every year's different. Um for me year 7 is is different. Um you know, especially a younger locker room, you know, kind of a veteran guy um coming in and um but it feels good. Honestly, it feels good. It's been fun, um, like we've been talking about building that chemistry on the field, but also off the field, getting to know all these guys, um, different backgrounds, different things. So it's been fun. Um, different. Every year's different, but uh, it's a good different.
1: Okay, fun is good. Uh, productive is better. Here was Carson Wentz on Saturday night on how his progression in the Commanders' offense is going.
5: I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I like uh, where we're at. I like, you know, I've been picking, you know, Coach Turner's brain a lot, and just how he sees the game, how he wants to attack defenses, and uh, already learned a lot from him. And and it's been fun, kind of just creating that 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 chemistry in a different way than than with receivers and all that that stuff. But um, it's been fun to kind of dive into it together and and see how he sees the game, and uh, you know, I'm enjoying it.
1: Much more on where we're at with Carson Wentz as a commander's quarterback in moments, including the plan for Carson for this Saturday afternoon's preseason opener for the commanders. But Carson says that he's enjoying the process of learning the team's offense. We hope that you're enjoying your life. But if you or someone who you care about has suffered harm due to the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars For the sick and injured, I've known the Naces for 25-plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, You're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. 7611. You can also visit PaulsonNace.com. That's PaulsonNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now from the Commander's Training Camp practice at FedEx Field this past Saturday night. As I mentioned earlier, Carson Wentz late in the practice. Had a good-looking touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin on a back-shoulder fade. Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Saturday night on what he saw from Carson late in Saturday night's practice at FedEx Field. You
3: know, this was, this was, again, one of the things that you look for when you practice here in your stadium and you have your fans out there is you want that energy, electricity, and, and a little bit of sense of, of, of um, I don't want to say game atmosphere, but game atmosphere. Uh, he got a rhythm going. Scott, he got a nice rhythm going with his play calling. and I think that gives Carson a little bit of a sense what to anticipate once we get into the games. And, and, and that's, what, that's why this preseason game will be really good for, for, for not just Carson, but for, for, for the entire offensive unit, Scott included, in terms of play calling, getting into rhythm, getting into a rhythm that suits him very well. And that's what you know I like about it. So he'll play next week, like Brandon last week? Oh, yeah, he'll play. Definitely play.
1: All right, so a notable follow-up exchange there between Commander's insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times and Ron Rivera. Carson Wentz will play in the Commander's preseason opener, which is this Saturday afternoon at 1 against the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. Here was Carson during his post-practice press conference on Saturday night on playing against the Panthers this Saturday afternoon.
5: Yeah, that's something I always leave with coaches, you know, I trust their decision, I trust what Coach Turner thinks, what Coach Rivera thinks and everything, and um, I know as an offense, you know, we kind of, there's some new pieces, there's some new things, and so we, I know we want to get out there, and so we'll trust he'll make the call in terms of how much, and uh, either way, excited to run out there and, and, you know, get some live action a little bit.
1: Yeah, the conversation about who should play in NFL preseason games and for how long those people should play in NFL preseason games, of course, is an annual conversation. Uh, Here's the bottom line. There is no right answer. There are examples of NFL teams that don't play starters a lot in preseason games doing very well in regular seasons, and there are examples of NFL teams that don't play starters a lot in preseason games not doing very well in regular seasons. Every team is different. Every team's situation is different. Ideally, yes, the commanders would play their offensive starters a decent amount in at least two of the team's three preseason games, given that the team has a new starting quarterback in Carson Wentz. But I mean, God forbid Carson or one of these starters gets hurt in one of these meaningless preseason games, then what? I mean, how sick would you feel if Carson or Terry McLaurin or Jahan Dotson or whoever suffered a serious injury in a preseason game in which he played for a while? Uh, Yes, this is football. And yes, the risk of injury is constant. But also, yes, you need to mitigate that risk as best that you can. So to me, NFL head coaches are almost in no-win situations when it comes to playing key players in preseason games. If you don't play the players, you're risking being rusty to start the regular season. If you do play the players, you're risking injury in meaningless preseason games. Uh, All of that said, I do think that Carson Wentz should play this Saturday afternoon against the Panthers. And I hope that while he's playing, Scott Turner just like calls a bunch of passing plays. So Carson and the passing offense get a lot of work. You know, the plan can be to not play Carson for long, but also for while he's playing for him to get a lot of work in terms of pass attempts. And I think that that might be a best of both worlds. Uh, Something about Carson Wentz that you'll notice when you watch him is the pump fake. Uh, he is a fan of, he makes usage of the pump fake, as most quarterbacks are fans of and make usage of the pump fake. Uh, Ron Rivera on Saturday night on Carson's pump fake.
3: I, I really like it because his motion and he's so quick with it that he gets himself set and is able to get the ball out. He had two really good ones today that uh, both ended up in, in big throws and catches. And, and that is something, you know, that when you have guys with that kind of quickness, you know, getting flat and then being able to turn and burst and go vertical, you can lay it out and they'll go get it.
1: Okay, now Carson Wentz during his post-practice press conference on Saturday night addressed his pump fakes and did make an important clarification. Here you go.
5: I think only one of them might have been intentional tonight, you know, a couple of them, you know, Kendall was sitting on a route, didn't want to throw it to Kendall, um, and just, you know, that's part of the game, you know, but some of it's also within the scheme, you know, we're calling double moves, we're calling things, so, um,
1: yeah. right, let's now get to Carson Wentz and Terry McLaurin. There may be no more important chemistry on the Commanders this coming season than the chemistry between Carson and Terry. If these two work well together, a lot of good things could happen for the team. Well, the truth is that Carson and Terry have seemed a bit off with each other so far in Commander's training camp. Uh, as you may recall, Terry this past offseason did not attend any of the Commander's OTA practices or mandatory mid practices as he was in the midst of negotiating that contract extension that he eventually signed. Uh, the commanders on July 5th officially announced having signed Terry to a three-year contract extension. Uh, here was Ron Rivera on Saturday night on whether Carson Wentz and Terry McLaurin have more room to grow as opposed to Carson and those commanders past catchers who were in attendance for offseason practices.
3: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, 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 I, and I'm excited about it because, you know, um, there have been a couple throws where he's, he's, he's slightly behind Terry a little bit. Um, well, he's got to get used to how Terry breaks and comes out of his breaks. And that's why he's a little bit behind. Um, I think he's, he's trying to gauge Terry's speed a little bit. So a couple times early on he was, he was a little short. A couple times he was a little bit long. Now it's just continue to work that and get that feel for, you know, hitting it right on the button.
1: Interesting that Ron Rivera did not hesitate to admit that, yeah, there is a lot of room for growth for the Carson Wentz-Terry McLaurin connection. Uh, Terry, on Saturday night, did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on how much of the growing pains with Carson Wentz are due to Terry having not attended off-season practices.
6: Um, I think it's just still a process, to be honest. Um, I think the best thing that I can continue to do is be as available as I can in practice. And just um, I think him and I are going to try to start to get a little bit of extra reps in, in the middle of practice and things like that, where you're kind of just talking things through, uh, making sure my landmarks, making sure I'm coming flat sometimes um, because I could throw off his timing as well. So I think, like I said, it's hard to to just make it happen. I know we're going to go through growing pains. Um, I've had that in the past, but um, I think just his demeanor and and my demeanor makes for a a good foundation. Along with the other guys we have in our room, we got a lot of guys who are just unselfish and are not going to really get too frustrated and just trust in the process of what we're trying to get done.
1: All right, some more from Terry McLaurin on getting acclimated to catching passes from Carson Wentz.
6: Yeah, I think um, I think we're definitely in communication on where the um, where we're expected to be to the to the quarterback. So if you know, depending on the leverage, if we're supposed to take the route high or or bring it low, depending on the leverage of the the defense. And I think we're doing a good job of really working through those things now. Um, I feel like um, even when we miss on some of the deep balls or some of the the long passes, I think it's still good to get those reps to see it. You know, run against our defense and to get the feel of what it's supposed to look like. And I think, um, like I said, we're continuing to progress as as much as we can. And um, I think the. uh the touchdown that him and, uh, Carson and I had today was felt like a game rep, you know, where the timing was um, there with the back shoulder fade and things like that. So you want to have those reps to put in your pocket because those are the ones that give you confidence and the ones you don't quite connect on. You you go look at the film and see was I good on my steps? You know, I kind of just look at it from my perspective. Um, was my demeanor good? Was I my landmark and did I come down with the ball? So um, I think it's still a work in progress, but I think we're all doing a good job of uh, just trying to be quarterback. Back friendly and, um, and make plays together.
1: Now, as you probably know, uh, Terry McLaurin has worked with quite a few Washington quarterbacks over his first three seasons with the team. Uh, Terry, over his first three NFL seasons, 2019 through 2021, caught regular season passes from seven different quarterbacks. Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. And Terry, over his first three NFL regular seasons, played with eight different starting quarterbacks, as you can throw Ryan Fitzpatrick into the mix. Uh, Terry McLaurin on Saturday night on if he ever gets frustrated by those times in which he and Carson Wentz do not connect.
6: Yeah, I think it's part of the process, to be honest. Um, I think um, it, t- it takes time to develop some of those things. Obviously, the closer that you get to the game, you want to be connecting as much as you can. And I think we've definitely improved from our first week of camp to our second week. And hopefully next week, we're, we're doing even better. And going into the game, you want to see those things start to clean up a little bit. So I think procedurally, we're great. I think we're um, in the right spots. It's just um, getting those repetitions or getting used to how he throws the ball. And um, he's going to give us a chance down the field make sure as receivers that we're expecting um even if there's a little bit of coverage that we're going to still take shots down the field and you have to run through and and make it contested catches at times as well so I think it's been fun to to get on the same page with him he's very communicative um being a vet like he is he makes it really easy for not only myself but uh Jahan and Curtis and the rest of the guys in our in our room.
1: What about catching a ball from Carson Wentz as opposed to catching a ball from another quarterback, uh, Terry McLaurin, on Saturday night? On what stands out to him about working with Carson Wentz?
6: Carson uh, definitely does a good job of, um, you know, putting the ball out in front of you, which is which is awesome for a receiver. Like like I said, I think for me, um, a lot of times you. We rather get overthrown than underthrown. Um, obviously, you have to be ready for both scenarios as a receiver. But um, even when we miss, it's not by a lot. You know what I mean? It's he puts a lot of air under the ball, which is great for a receiver. Um, yeah, it gives you time to track the ball, and his timing and the way he likes to, you know, throw the, the deep ball and the zip that he puts on the crossing routes gives you a chance to catch the ball and run with it, which is um, extremely great for us and our room to have chance for run after the catch, which is something I think as a group we could definitely improve on and. Um, I just think his veteran savvy is something that you can't really emulate. You know, I mean, you can't really, um, you know, practice that. I think just his understanding of leverages and coverage and talking about certain adjustments, I think that comes with the experience that he has. And um, I think, you know, he said it a lot that this is maybe one of the most dynamic groups that he's had. So um, as a group in my mind, as one of the leaders, I think we just got to continue to hands on that, give him as much confidence as possible, and uh, go out there and make the play so he can go out there and, and, and just play free when it comes Sunday.
1: Yeah, you think about Terry McLaurin and Carson Wentz, Carson would seem to be the most talented quarterback, if not the best quarterback, with whom Terry has played in his NFL career. And Terry would seem to be the best receiver with whom Carson has played in his NFL career. And when you factor in Carson's ability to throw the deep ball, this could be a match made in heaven. I mean, certainly that's the hope, right? Uh, But Carson last season was an elite deep ball thrower. Carson, for the 2021 regular season, was number one. Among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in football outsiders DVOA metric on pass attempts of at least 20 air yards and Carson for the 2021 regular season, it was number one among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in expected points added on deep throws for the NFL's next gen stats. Uh, one more thing on Terry McLaurin. His popularity, That contract extension that he signed with the Commanders earlier this summer certainly seems to have made him even more popular. And that he's popular among Commanders fans isn't surprising or new, and that he's now more popular among Commanders fans off signing the three-year contract extension isn't necessarily surprising, but the reception that he got on Saturday night at FedEx Field seemed to be representative of his popularity among fans of the team now being at a new level. Terry McLaurin on Saturday night on him now being even more of a fan favorite.
6: It's kind of crazy. Like I've always gotten uh, love from the fans, but it just kind of seems a little bit even more. And, um, you know, I humbly accept that. And it's really cool to be able to make an impact on so many people, Um, to be one of the leaders of this team coming into the league. You just wanted to make your mark. And now to be in a a leadership position is something I just want to continue to enhance and and build on and and continue to give them something to cheer about. Um, I want to be able to show that I um, worth with the team believes me and continue to up my level of play and make an impact on the other guys in my room and on this team and so anytime I get to go out there hang out with them show love smile give them compliments and just appreciate them for supporting me and the rest of my teammates I'm going to do that because um, I mean honestly that's one of the great things about football seeing the fanfare and um, getting the love and and the support that we get from these fans so I'm really looking forward to this season and seeing how that grows for all of us.
1: Yes, sir. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. Uh, Perhaps a new low point for them in a season that seems to be filled with uh, nothing but low points. A black box would have the worst series in franchise history from a starting pitching standpoint straight ahead. Well, what happened to the Nationals over the weekend really was a fitting ending to a terrible week. Uh, it was a week that included the Nats trading away their franchise right fielder Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres, but not being able to trade away so many other players who you would have loved to have seen the Nats trade away prior to the MLB trade deadline this past Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, It was a week in which one of the Nats' top relievers, Tanner Rainey, underwent Tommy John surgery. And the week ended up ending with a weekend uh, during which the Nats got bludgeoned at the Philadelphia Phillies. A four-game sweep for the Nats at the Phillies. Thursday night, a 5-4, four-and-a-half inning rain-shortened loss. We talked about that game on last Friday's show, episode 370. Friday night, a 7-2 loss. Saturday night, an 11-5 loss. Sunday afternoon, a 13-1 loss. The Nats lost the final three games of the series by a combined score of 31-8. The series was a joke. The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst 36-74, including 9 and 42 against the National League East. Yes, 9 and 42. And the Nats now have a major league worst run differential of minus 196. The numbers are gruesome. Uh, Where you start when it comes to the Nats weekend is with the Nats pitching, especially the starting pitching. You know, for years, the Nats were known as a starting pitching team. The foundation upon which the success of the Nats from 2012 through 2019 was built was the starting pitching. Eight consecutive winning seasons, five playoff seasons, four National League East titles, a 2019 World Series title. The foundation of that success was the Nats starting pitching. And so the symbolism here should not be lost. A nightmare of a week for the Nats ended with a complete and total victimizing of their starting pitching. That which had been such a strength for this team for so long really has come tumbling down. Nats pitching in this series at the Phillies got ravaged. The Phillies over the four games in the series blasted 14 home runs. That is a record for the Phillies in a regular season series. Yes, a franchise record for the Phillies. 14 homers given up by Nats pitching at the Phillies over this four-game series. The Nats' four starting pitchers in the series, Paulo Espino, Josiah Gray, Patrick Corbin, and Corey Abbott, combined to allow 24 runs in 12 and a third innings. Think about that, 24 runs in 12 and the third innings. Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday afternoon.
2: After the first day, which I thought, you know, we played well. We got, you know, the game got cut short because of rain, and then uh, the last, you know, last three games were just not not fun. I mean, um, you know, we got to pitch better. I mean, you know, I thought we swung the bats okay until You know, till today, but um, um, we just got we got to pitch better, man. We got to get some better starting pitching. I mean, we're always behind, and uh, uh, you know, it's tough. You know, for morale, uh, you know, we we do the best we can to keep these guys going, keep them guys positive. As you can see, man, they play, you know, they play, but I mean, we're always behind, so uh, we got to start scoring first and and get some better starting pitching.
1: Yeah, so with that starting pitching, uh, let's just take the outings in order. Uh, Paolo Espino in the 5-4, four and a half inning, rain-short loss at the Phillies on Thursday night, five runs in four innings. Josiah Gray in the 7-2 loss at the Phillies on Friday night, six runs in four innings. Uh, very disappointing to see what we're seeing these days from Josiah Gray. He on Friday night gave up five hits, four home runs, and a triple. Uh, he issued three walks. He over his four innings threw 79 pitches, 46 strikes versus 33 balls. Uh, Gray in the bottom of the first allowed four runs. He gave up a one-out solo homer to Reese Hoskins to left field for a 1-0 Phillies lead. Uh, Gray gave up a two-out triple to JT Riomuto on a 1-2 pitch. Although in fairness to Gray, uh, the triple should have been just a single. Uh, But center fielder Victor Robles made a terrible play, allowed the ball to bounce in front of him, then get by him, and then roll all the way to the center field wall, but Gray did not respond well to that Robles boo boo. Gray gave up a two out two run homer to Nick Castellanos to left field for a three nothing Phillies lead. Gray gave up a two out solo homer to Derek Hall to right field for a four nothing Phillies lead, despite Hall having been down to the count at 1.02. Uh, Gray in the bottom of the third allowed two runs, issued a leadoff five pitch walk of Reese Hoskins. Gray then gave up a one out two run homer to JT Riomuto to left field for a six nothing. Phillies lead. Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 20 starts, ERA of 492. I mean, for all of the good that we have been able to say about Josiah Gray, and you know, that good has been legitimate. His ERA is near five. And Josiah Gray now has allowed a major league worst 28 home runs. His home run problem is getting worse, not better. Josiah Gray now has allowed 47 home runs. In 176 and two-thirds Major League Innings over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons. Uh, You certainly don't write them off, okay? Sometimes it takes time with a pitcher. Um, You know, you have to maintain hope here. But I tell you what, for a Nats organization that just has not done a good job of developing pitchers for years now, what is happening with Josiah Gray is especially discouraging. Remember, he was a centerpiece of last year's Nats fire sale. The Nats acquired Gray and catcher Kaybert Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st, 2021. We now arrive at Patrick Corbin on Saturday night. Uh, Corbin on Saturday night struggled for a sixth consecutive start and did not make it out of the first inning for a second time in three starts, as for a second time in three starts, Corbin had a final line of six runs in two-thirds of an inning. Yeah, six runs in two-thirds of an inning. Corbin in the bottom of the first allowed six runs on five hits, two walks, and a hit-by pitch. The five hits were two home runs, a triple, and two singles, and he could not find the plate. Corbin threw 43 pitches, just 22 strikes, versus 21 balls yeah his strikes to balls ratio was essentially one to one uh this was like a nightmare this bottom of the first inning on Saturday night Corbin gave up a one-out solo homer to Reese Hoskins on a moonshot to left field for a one-nothing Phillies lead the homer went and projected 441 feet per stat cast and the homer marked Hoskins home homering in the first inning for a third consecutive game in the series uh Corbin issued a one-out eight-pitch walk of Alec Boehm Corbin gave up a two-out opposite field single to Nick Castellanos to right field on a 1-2 pitch. Corbin gave up a two-out three-run homer to Matt Veerling to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 4 nothing Phillies lead. Corbin gave up a two-out single to Gene Segura. Uh, the ball went off Corbin and up the middle. Corbin issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Edmundo Sosa. Corbin gave up a two-out two-run first pitch opposite field triple to Bryson Stott to the left center field gap for a 6 nothing Phillies lead. Corbin issued a two-out, six-pitch walk of ex-NAT Kyle Schwarber and then was pulled from the game. If all of this sounds familiar to you, it should. We just went through this. We just did this with Patrick Corbin. July 27th, a 7-1 Nats loss at the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers. Corbin in that game, six runs and recorded just two outs. So Patrick Corbin in two of his last three starts now has had a final line of six runs in two-thirds of an inning. To do that once in a season is something else. To do that twice in a season is really something else. And then to do that twice in three starts is like unprecedented. Do you remember when Patrick Corbin had those back-to-back good starts? That really wasn't that long ago. 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th. Corbin in that game was great. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. 3-2 3-2 10 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 4th. Corbin in that game, one run in seven innings. Well, Patrick Corbin, since those back-to-back good starts against two bad-hitting teams in the Pirates and Marlins, has allowed, you ready for this, 30 earned runs in 21 and two-thirds innings over six starts. I mean, think about that for a moment. 30 earned runs in 21 and two-thirds innings over six starts. Patrick Corbin now, over his last six starts, has descended to an entirely new level of bad. And Patrick Corbin now, in the 2022 regular season, over 23 starts, has an ERA of 702 and a whip of 182. He ranks dead last among all qualified pitchers in the majors in both ERA and whip. Davey Martinez, during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday night, would not commit. To Patrick Corbin remaining in the Nats rotation, take a listen.
2: Really, I mean, Tim um, can't finish hitters. You know, his location uh, his misses. Um, you know, uh, it's like I, f- I feel, you know, I feel bad. I mean, he's going out there, and believe me, he's not trying to. You know, miss his location. He's not trying. He's trying to get outs, and uh, he's just not finishing hitters. Do you guys think give a hard look at potentially putting him in the bullpen or doing something else right now? Um, you know, we'll have some discussions, but I mean, um, I'm, you know, I'll talk to—I'm going to I'm gonna talk to Patrick and uh, just see w- where he's at. You know, mentally, I mean, he, you know, he says all the right things. I talked to him. You know, he's, he's working on different things, um, so um, we'll see where we're at in the next few days. Do you, do you think? Obviously, that's a hard thing to do with a veteran, a guy who has a really big track record. But is there a potential that, that even could just be the best thing for him right now, just because of how the last few starts have gone? Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I really, I really don't know that yet. Sure. I really don't. I mean, I mean, I, I want to, you know, um, his value to us is starting, right? Yeah. You know I mean, so um, we want to continue to try to figure this out. But you know, at what point, you know, as we all sit back, you know, you're, you're right. At what point do we say, hey, you know, I think, you know, maybe we should just you know, going a you know different direction, but I don't want to make that decision right now. Uh, I want to talk to him. Now uh, I want to see you know what's going on, seeing how he's doing, you know, uh, physically and mentally, and then uh, we'll go from there.
6: What was the message to him, either on the mound or in the dugout or after the after he came out?
2: I mean, all I, all I could do is just pat him, pat him on the shoulder, and tell him, hey, just you know, this will turn, you know, and just keep your head up. I mean, um, that's all we can do.
1: So what you just heard right there was a very different Davey Martinez as compared to Davey in the past off Patrick Corbin debacle starts. For the longest time now, despite Corbin having been a bad pitcher since the start of the 2020 season, the notion of him not remaining in the Nats rotation really has not been entertained, certainly not publicly. Well, things changed on Saturday night. Davy Martinez on Saturday night, as you just heard, did not dismiss putting Corbin in the bullpen. Now, Davey didn't commit to anything. He said that he uh, didn't want to make a decision in the moment. Uh, Davy said that he wanted to talk to Corbin. But for the first time, it is sounding like Corbin may be headed to the bullpen or maybe somewhere else, you know, maybe an injured list. Maybe the Nats will come up with some phony baloney injury and part Corbin on an injured list. Who knows? But it has become untenable. I mean, he really has become an awful pitcher. And I don't say that in like a mocking way. I mean, I actually feel kind of sorry for Patrick Corbin. Now, you know, the sorrow only goes so far, okay? He's pitching under a six-year, $140 million contract. But this can't be fun for Patrick Corbin. This has become embarrassing for Patrick Corbin. His starts have become embarrassments. He quantifiably is the worst pitcher in Major League Baseball. Think about that. He is dead last among all qualified pitchers in the majors in the 2022 regular season in both ERA and WIP. He has gone from bad in 2020 to horrible in 2021 to now unspeakably atrocious in 2022. He's getting worse You know, the decline has not been stabilized. He keeps getting worse. And I tell you, as bad as all of this makes Patrick Corbin look, this also doesn't make the Nats look good at all. That they can't get their arms around this, that they can't stop the decline, let alone fix Corbin. Uh, I think that says a lot about where the Nats are at right now from a player development standpoint and coaching standpoint and ability to fix Players' standpoint. And I think that's a big part of why the Nats are where they are as a franchise. Uh, But this Patrick Corbin situation really is brutal. And then we on Sunday afternoon had the Corey Abbott show. Uh, Abbott in the 13 1 loss at the Phillies on Sunday afternoon, seven runs in three and two thirds innings. Uh, He gave up seven hits, four home runs, a double, and two singles. He issued five walks and a hit by pitch he recorded two strikeouts. Uh, Abbott, over his three and two-thirds innings, threw 79 pitches, 46 strikes versus 33 balls. He actually tossed a perfect bottom of the first, which is pretty funny when you think about it, but uh, then came the rest of Corey Abbott's outing. Uh, he, in the bottom of the second, allowed a run, gave up a leadoff first pitch opposite field homer to Derek Hall to left field for a one nothing Phillies lead. Abbott issued a seven-pitch walk of Nick Castellanos despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. Abbott in the bottom of the third allowed a run as he began the bottom of the third by giving up in succession a hit by pitch, a single, and two walks. Uh, The single, by the way, was a first pitch bunt single by the ex-NAT Kyle Schwarber toward third base to beat the shift. Abbott in the bottom of the fourth allowed five runs as he, in the inning, gave up three home runs, Uh, issued a leadoff four-pitch walk of Brandon Marsh gave up a single to Garrett Stubbs, although Marsh was ruled out due to being hit by the batted ball. Abbott gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Nick Maton to right field for a 4 nothing Phillies lead. The homer went a projected 414 feet per stat cast. Abbott gave up a one-out double to Kyle Schwarber to the right center field gap despite Schwarber having been down in the count of 1.02. Abbott gave up a one-out two-run homer to Reese Hoskins to left center field for a 6-0 Phillies lead. Abbott gave up a two-out solo homer to Derek Hall to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-0 Phillies lead. That homer went a projected 406 feet for Statcast and Abbott then issued a walk, a two-out-five pitch walk of Nick Castellanos, and then Abbott mercifully was pulled from the game. Uh, what also is kind of funny is that Abbott had done quite well in his initial start for the Nats, a 5-1 win over the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night. Abbott in that game, five scoreless innings, but, uh, At the end of the day, he is Corey Abbott. I mean, he's only starting games for the Nats because Eric Fetty is on the 15-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, The Nats on July 30th recalled Abbott from AAA Rochester. The Nats just got Abbott a few months ago. The Nats on May 4th claimed Abbott off waivers from the San Francisco Giants. He should not be starting games for the Nats, but he is starting games for the Nats because the Nats are so lacking in organizational pitching depth. I mean, you think about this Nats rotation now. Paulo Espino, Corey Abbott, Anibal Sanchez. These guys shouldn't be in the Nats rotation. Patrick Corbin, with as bad as he has become, shouldn't be in the Nats rotation. Four of the five guys right now in the Nats rotation shouldn't be in the Nats rotation. And yet they are, again, because the Nats are so lacking in organizational pitching depth. It really is something what has happened to this team. And so all of this bad starting pitching for the Nats at the Phillies meant that the Nats bullpen got work big time, and the results were not pretty. You know, Now, some results were better than others, but you know, at the end of the day, you can only ask so much of your bullpen. Friday night, the 7-2 loss at the Phillies. Three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Okay. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez, two scoreless innings. Victor Arano in the bottom of the seventh Gave up a one-out solo homer to Kyle Schwarber to dead center field for a 7-0 Phillies lead. And uh, the homer was a true shore bomb Uh, when it projected 419 feet per stat cast. But then Andres Machado tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Okay, Friday night wasn't so bad for the Nats bullpen. But Saturday night, the 11-5 loss at the Phillies. Six Nats relievers combined to allow five runs in 7 and a third innings. Jordan Weems allowed three runs in two and a third innings. He, in the bottom of the second, allowed three runs on a triple, two doubles, and a single to give the Phillies a 9-0 lead. Uh, Steve Ciszek did toss a perfect bottom of the fourth. Hunter Harvey did toss a scoreless bottom of the fifth, despite Giving up two singles, but Carl Edwards Jr. in the bottom of the sixth allowed two runs. He issued a leadoff four pitch walk of Alec Bohm, uh, then gave up a two run homer to JT Realmuto to center field for an 11 4 Phillies lead. Uh, that homer went a projected 415 feet per stat cast. And Edwards in the inning uh, issued a one out seven pitch walk of Matt Vierling and gave up a one out single to Gene Segura. Uh, Kyle Finnegan did toss a perfect bottom of the seventh. Andres Machado did toss a perfect bottom of of the eighth. Uh, the Nats on Sunday optioned Jordan Weems and AAA Rochester recalled Mason Thompson from Rochester but then in the 13-1 loss at the Phillies on Sunday afternoon three Nats relievers combined to allow six runs four earned in four into third innings. Now Erasmo Ramirez was good he tossed two into third scoreless hitless and walkless innings uh, but Mason Thompson in the bottom of the seventh the latter run on three singles, although he did record two strikeouts. And Victor Orano in the bottom of the eighth allowed five runs, three earned on two doubles, a single, a walk, and a hit by pitch. Now, as for why uh, five runs were allowed by Arano, but only three of the runs were earned, well, that was because of the latest throwing error by Luis Garcia. Uh, Luis Garcia on Sunday afternoon had another throwing error. He was an at starting shortstop, At number two batter went 0 for 4 with a strikeout, and Garcia in that Phillies five-run eighth committed a one-out throwing error on a grounder off the bat of Alec Boehm. As uh, Garcia, while charging in, appeared to look at Bohm as opposed to looking at the target of the throw, and the result was another throwing error. Uh, Luis Garcia just has not been good defensively at shortstop. Uh, He entered Sunday with minus 13 defensive runs saved at shortstop at the major league level in the 2022 regular season. And the bulk of the struggles have had to do with his throwing. You know, his fielding is actually pretty good, but the throwing is the thing. And it feels like the more routine the play, the more apt Garcia is to commit a throwing error. Uh, And think about this too, minus 13 defensive runs saved. uh, That was for a guy who wasn't called up to the majors until June 1st. It was on June 1st that the Nats recalled Garcia from AAA Rochester. Uh, remember, he played most of his time at the major league level last season at second base, and that's probably where he should be playing. I don't fault the Nats for giving Luis Garcia an extended look at the more important defensive position of shortstop, but this just doesn't seem to be working. And Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Saturday, said uh, that Garcia has been getting reps at second base in anticipation of shortstop CJ Abrams' arrival to the Nats' major league roster in the coming weeks. Uh, Abrams was perhaps the top player acquired by the Nats from the San Diego Padres for right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell this past Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Abrams, for now, is playing for AAA Rochester. Uh, As for the Nats' offense in this uh, four-game sweep at the Phillies. Uh, well, good series for Luke Voigt in his first series as an ad. So there was a bright spot. Uh, Luke Voigt was an at's number three batter in all four games in the series. He was a starting DH in game one, then was the starting first baseman in in games two through four, void for the series, six for 13 with a homer, five singles and two walks. He on Saturday night went two for four with a solo homer, a single and a hit by pitch. Uh, void in the Nats' four run six had a leadoff opposite field home run to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 9-1. Uh, void on Sunday afternoon, two for three with two singles and a walk. Uh, Nelson Cruz was back. He was a Nats' starting DH and number four batter in each of the final two games of the series. He returned From a three-game absence caused by a stiff neck, Uh, Cruz on Saturday night, one for three with an infield single and two walks. Cruz on Sunday afternoon, one for four with a single and two strikeouts. Now, Nelson Cruz continues to not hit for, like, any power. His slugging percentage for the 2022 regular season is down to 342. I mean, that is microscopic, especially for a hitter as accomplished as Nelson Cruz. Uh, The Nats signing of him has proven to be a bust. I mean, that the Nats couldn't trade Nelson Cruz prior to the MLB trade deadline this past Tuesday. It really says something. The Nats in March signed Cruz as a free agent to a one-year contract with a mutual option for 2023. Uh, the deal included a $12 million salary for this season and then a $16 million salary or $3 million buyout for the 2023 season. So Cruz is guaranteed at least $15 million from the Nats. million for a 342 slugging percentage and for a guy who ended up being so bad that the Nats couldn't trade him this season. Uh, This season is his age 41 season. You know, I will say this. I mean, I applauded the Nats for signing Nelson Cruz, so I'm not going to rewrite history here. I mean, I thought that the signing made sense at the time. I thought that Cruz could be a viable trade ship for the Nats, but uh, it just has not worked out. This signing of Cruz just has not worked out. For the Nats. Uh, Now, one thing about Nelson Cruz is that he does hustle. And we saw that actually on his infield single on Saturday night. Uh, Cruz in the top of the second had a leadoff full count infield single on a slow roller toward third base. Um, I tell you what, this guy Joey Manessis could perhaps learn a thing or two from Nelson Cruz. Joey Manessis, uh, this season is his age 30 season. This season was his 10th minor league season. The Nats on Tuesday afternoon brought him up from AAA Rochester. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon selected the contract of Joey Manessis from Rochester. So you say to yourself, all right, Joey Manessis, finally in the show. Finally going to get some playing time at the major league level. Well, Joey Manessis on Saturday night was the Nats' starting left fielder and number five batter. He went one for four with a single and to walk, left four men on base. But Joey Manessis in the Nats one run seventh on Saturday night had a one out single off the left field wall. Now you say, how did that happen? A one base hit on a ball that went off the wall. Well, I'll tell you how that happened. Joey Manessis out of the box was admiring his hit as opposed to hustling off his hit. Joey Manessis didn't hustle. Now think about this now. You're Joey Manessis. Like I said, age 30 season. This season was your 10th minor league season. You're not some hotshot prospect. You're certainly not some established major leaguer. You're seeing Nelson Cruz in his age 41 season, potentially a future Hall of Famer hustling. And yet you're not hustling out of the box as you're playing for a bad team in another blowout loss on a Saturday night. I mean, that to me was shameful, you know? And look, it's one moment, okay? Like, I hate to judge someone on his or her worst moment here, but boy, you're Joey Manessis, okay? Hustle. You're Joey Manessis. Run hard, please. I mean, I couldn't get over that on Saturday night. Uh, also, Kbert Ruiz, it really would be nice if he got going offensively. Now, I'm sympathetic to Kbert Ruiz, he plays a grueling and demanding position in catcher. Uh, catcher is a defensive position. Defense at catcher matters so much. And for Kaybert Ruiz as a young catcher uh, trying to navigate this rotation, uh, there's a lot on Kaybert Ruiz's plate right now. I get that. But, you know, the idea with K.Bert Ruiz was that he wasn't just someone who could be a competent defensive catcher. The idea was that he could really excel offensively, and we're not seeing that so far. Now, like with Josiah Gray, you don't write the guy off, okay, but you're just sort of observing as time goes on here. Uh, Kbert Ruiz was an ad starting catcher in three of the four games at the Phillies, and the results just continued to be underwhelming. Uh, Thursday night, Kbert Ruiz as an Nats number five batter, one for three with a single, left three men on base. Friday night, Kbert Ruiz as an Nats number five batter, 0 for four with an RBI ground out Sunday afternoon. Kbert Ruiz has an ad's number six batter, 0 for 3 with a walk and two strikeouts, left three men on base. Uh, Kbert Ruiz now in the 2022 regular season has an OPS of just 641. Again, I get that catcher is a defensive position, but the whole point with Ruiz is that he can be a very good all-around catcher. They can be that rare quality offensive catcher. Uh, He has been good defensively. I give him credit for that, but uh, the offense uh, just has been lackluster, at least so far. Actually, his backup, Tress Barrera, had a big hit in the series. Barrera, in the 11-5 loss at the Phillies on Saturday night, was the Nats' starting catcher and number eight batter. He went one for four with a two-run double. Uh, He and the Nats' four-run six had a two-out two-run double to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 9-3, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. This was just Barrera's fourth hit since the Nats on July 1st recalled him from AAA Rochester. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. Game one, Monday night at 8.05, Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 8.05, Paolo Espino will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 2.20, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, for the Orioles over the weekend, a bad ending to an otherwise good series. Uh, The O's won two or three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, a 1-0 win. Saturday evening, a 6-3 win as the O's on Saturday celebrated 30 years at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Yeah, 30 years ago. Oriole Park at Camden Yards Open, 1992. Uh, We, on Saturday, had a number of Orioles legends in attendance, including Brooks Robinson and Eddie Murray, who were in the Orioles' clubhouse prior to the game. Uh, But then on Sunday afternoon, uh, the O's did lose to the Pirates, Eight one. The O's in the 2022 regular season now are 56 and 52. Uh, The O's are two games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wild card spot, and the O's are four games behind the Toronto Blue Jays for the AL's top wild card spot. And beginning on Monday night is a three-game series for the O's against the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. More on that in a bit. But we had some controversy in the Orioles eight-one loss to the Pirates on Sunday afternoon. O's manager Brandon Hyde was ejected in the top of the seventh after an out call on the Pirates. Greg Allen was overturned and gave the Pirates a run. Uh, O's catcher Robinson Chirinos was ruled to have blocked the plate and not allowed a clear path after the Pirates' Kevin Newman reached on an infield single and O's shortstop Jorge Mateo ran down a ball that deflected off his glove And made a throw home. Uh, The teams actually left the field. The O's were trailing for one. But the challenge went in the Pirates' favor. And three more Pirates runs ended up scoring in what ended up being a four-run Pirates' seventh. Uh, Hyde was not happy. He ended up being ejected. Major League Baseball did issue a statement confirming that after reviewing all relevant angles, the replay official determined uh, that Chirinos was in violation of the home plate collision rule. Here was Hyde during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. I, I thought I thought
4: that Chirinos was in a, a good spot when, when Mateo got the ball and threw it in. Um, I felt like his you know, looking at the replay too. It felt like his his right foot was um, on the line or on the op, on the foul side of the line, giving him giving a, the runner a clear lane. The ball beat him. The throw from the left field line takes him into the plate. I'm not sure what a catcher is supposed to do at that point. I guess it's to backhand the ball. It just I don't agree with any of it. So, um, I just yeah I don't know. I don't agree with the call.
1: Yeah, the MLB home plate collision rule is one of the more confusing rules in not just baseball, but in sports. But let's be honest, that play was not why the O's lost on Sunday afternoon. The O's on Sunday afternoon didn't hit, and that's why the O's lost the game. Just one run, just four hits, a home run, and three singles, just one walk. Uh, The O's went 0 for 1, With runners in scoring position, Amir won at bat the entire game with a runner in scoring position. Uh, Also for the O's on Sunday afternoon was a bizarre start for Spencer Watkins. Uh, He allowed four runs in five into third innings. So you hear that and you say, well, that doesn't sound so good, right? Four runs in five into third innings. But Watkins actually pitched a lot better than that final line indicates. Uh, He had five strikeouts versus one walk. He only gave up four hits, all of which were singles. He did issue a wild pitch, but he tossed four into third scoreless innings before giving up four consecutive one-out singles in what ended up being a three-run fifth for the Pirates. And Watkins in the top of the sixth was charged with a run that scored off reliever Brian Baker off issuing a leadoff four-pitch walk of Brian Reynolds. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen on Sunday afternoon was not good. Keegan Aiken and Bull Solcer combined to allow four runs in that top of the seventh. Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on Spencer Watkins. I, you know,
4: <laughs> strange game. I, I thought Watkins was really good um, early. I thought he had a really bad luck fifth inning. Um, you know, a couple... You know, an infield single on a high chopper, that's a tough play. A couple choppers to the right side that's just out of our reach. Um, I think one ball hit hard in the inning, unfortunately. So uh, I thought Waddy was throwing the ball really good. He just had just had really bad luck there in the fifth inning. That being said, we didn't do much offensively. And, uh, you know, Mateo with a big homer when we had four hits. So um, would that play at the plate change the game? I don't know. But... You know, I'd like to have stayed in it a little bit longer, and and um, but yeah, we need to swing the bat a little better than that.
1: Yeah, Spencer Watkins in the 2022 regular season now 15 major league starts, ERA of 4.02. The Orioles' starting pitching in the two wins in this series against the Pirates was pretty good. Uh, Dean Kramer in game one was good, uh, albeit for just a second time in six starts. But Kramer in the one nothing win over the Pirates on Friday night, six into third scoreless innings. Uh, now, he only recorded two strikeouts, but he issued no walks and he gave up just four hits, a double and three singles. And he threw a lot of strikes, uh, 83 pitches, 61 strikes, Versus just 22 balls. Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Friday night, uh, called the game Kramer's best game of the season. Uh, Dean Kramer in the 2022 regular season now. 11 starts ERA of 343. And the former national, Austin Vogt, Uh he in game two of the series was decent. You know, not great, but decent. Voth uh, in the 6-3 win over the Pirates on Saturday evening. Three runs in five innings. Now, he had five strikeouts versus one walk. He did, though, give up six hits, a homer, three doubles, and two singles. Uh, He over 75 pitches through 49 strikes versus 26 balls. But Voth continues to do an overall nice job here for the O's. 12 games, eight starts, 36 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 319. Uh, The O's on June 7th claimed Voth off waivers from the Nats. Uh, Voth with the Nats was not a good pitcher. Voth for the Nats... In the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 1013 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games of both for the Nats over four plus major league regular seasons had an ERA of 570 over 181 and two-thirds innings but both so far for the O's has done a good job. Uh, More on the Orioles offense in this series win over the Pirates. Uh, No Austin Hayes for the O's in the series. Outfielder Austin Hayes Did not play at all in the series. He now has not played in each of four consecutive games due to tightness in his left oblique. Uh, Adley Rutschman did have yet another good series. He was the Orioles' number two batter in each of the three games. He on Friday night, as the Orioles' starting catcher, went 0 for 2 with two walks, went 1 for 1 on stolen bases. Rutschman on Saturday evening, as the Orioles' starting catcher, 2 for 3 with two singles and two walks. And Rutschman on Sunday afternoon, As the Orioles starting DH one for four with a single, Adley Rutschman's OPS. For the 2022 regular season at the Major League level now is above 800. Uh, 804 now is your Adley Rutschman OPS. Uh, Anthony Santander, he was the Orioles' starting right fielder and number three batter in each of the first two games in the series. He had a double in each game, uh, giving him a 16-game hitting streak. Now, he did leave a lot of guys on base in each game, and the hitting streak did end on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Santander on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles' starting right fielder and number four batter 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Uh, also, we saw more good stuff from this guy, Terran Vavra, over the first two games of the series. Uh, Terran Vavra was the Orioles starting DH and number five batter in each of the first two games. He on Friday night went 3 for 4 with three singles. He on Saturday evening went 1 for 5 with a two out first pitch RBI single in the Orioles' one-run first. Now, Vavra on Sunday afternoon, as the Orioles' starting second baseman and number three batter, went over 2 with a strikeout. But he over 25 Major League regular season plate appearances, has an OPS of 880, uh, the O's on July 26th recalled Vavra from AAA Norfolk. This season is his age 25 season. The O's got Vavra from the Colorado Rockies as part of a package for reliever Michael Givens uh, in a trade on August 30th, 2020. Uh, so Vavra is one of these guys who the O's acquired via their fire sales from years past. Uh, the Rockies took Vavra in the third round of the 2018 MLB draft and back to the Orioles bullpen for a bit here. Uh, things did not go well for the bullpen on Sunday afternoon, but the Orioles bullpen was quite good over the first two games of this series. Friday night, the one nothing win over the Pirates. Two Orioles relievers combined for two and two thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Cnl Perez tossed one and two thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts, and Felix Batista tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. For the save. Uh now he did give up a one-out single to Ben Gamble on a one-two pitch and did then issue a one-out nine-pitch walk of key Brian Hayes. But Batista then recorded back-to-back strikeouts of O'Neill Cruz and Kevin Newman to end the game. Batista's forcing fastball velocity while facing Cruz reached 102 miles per hour per stat cast. And then in the 6-3 win over the Pirates on Saturday evening, four Orioles relievers combined for scoreless innings. And so next up for the O's is this big three-game series against the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. It's going to be interesting to see what the crowds are at Camden Yards for these three games. Uh, I'm not expecting sky-high attendance numbers. Uh, Camden Yards just is not drawing uh, like the ballpark used to. There are a lot of reasons for that. But the O's certainly are doing their part in terms of being competitive, being improved, being an exciting team to watch. And the O's are in postseason contention. And so this is a big three-game series against the American League wildcard leading Blue Jays. Uh, game one Monday night at 7.05, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two Tuesday night at 7.05, Kyle Bradish. Will be the Orioles' starting pitcher and game three Wednesday night at 705. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 372, will feature plenty. From 2022, Commander's Training Camp, as the team will be practicing on Monday morning. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Monday night at 8.05. We'll begin Game 1 of a three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. The O's on Monday night at 7.05. will begin Game 1 of a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Not very good.